If you have a copy of God's Word, you can be opening it up to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. We are in a series entitled, When You Pray. We've looked at how not to pray. We've seen the negative examples given by Christ here in Matthew 6. We've talked about a prayer of thanksgiving and how prayer and faith is what makes our food edible. When you pray over it and thank the Lord for it and believe it was intended to be eaten with with um, thankfulness, there's virtually nothing on the face of the earth you can't eat. Now, I know some of you are picky eaters and you don't like certain things, but you can thank the Lord for it. You just had not got hungry enough. You start missing a few meals and you'll get less picky. Today we're going to talk about sin. When you pray about sin. We're going to do that because when Christ is teaching us how to pray in what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer... He lays out for us an outline of praying. The Lord's Prayer, that it's really the disciples' prayer. He's teaching the disciples how to pray. But it's Christ's direct instruction to us on praying. That's why he says in verse 9, after this manner. As we've said all along, there's nothing wrong with you quoting the Lord's Prayer. There's nothing wrong with you uh, just like quoting Scripture. You can repeat all of this verbatim. But it's the manner in which you pray. It's as an outline. And so it says in verse 9, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We said that prayer must begin with a relationship with God. So a relationship was our first thought. Then in verse 11 it says, no, I'm sorry, verse 10, it says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That deals with reign, the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, the reign of God the Father and His coming kingdom with Christ as King. Then we looked at verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread. And that was a request. That was something that we need. This is when we now, after recognizing our relationship with God, His reign over us, now we can request From this God who knows us and loves us and controls all things, now we can request of Him what we need. That brings us to where we'll be this morning, verse 12 and the first part of verse 13. I'll read 12 and 13 for us. It says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want to deal with verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and the first part of verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These two passages, the first part of 13 and all of verse 12, deal with sin. The first one deals with repentance The first part of verse 13 deals with relief. So let's talk about repentance first. Verse 12, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. A debt is anything that we owe. It's anything that we owe. Sometimes when we think about debt, especially in this day, we think about money. But a debt is anything you owe. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had someone come and help you in a time of need? Maybe you're... Your truck wouldn't start and somebody came and gave you a jump. Or maybe you had a flat 
and your spare was flat, and they said, hey, I'll run you down, and we'll air that up real fast. You ever had that happen to you? Maybe it wasn't your car. Maybe it was your house. Do you ever have something happen at your house, and maybe your, your sink was backed up, and somebody came over, and maybe it was a plumber, and he ran a snake down there and, and unstopped your sink, and, and what I owe you? Oh, you don't owe me nothing. In reality, you do, because you'll say this, man, I owe you for this one. I owe you. When someone helps you, we'll say, hey, man, if you need anything, just holler because I owe you. Hey, if you ever get in a bind, I'll, I'll help you like you've helped me. That is a debt. That is a debt of help. That is a debt of gratitude. What if we've done them wrong? What if we've done them wrong and they said, oh, it's okay? What if we as a kid sent a rock through their window playing with our slingshot and they didn't come out and grab us by the neck and drag us all over the yard and beat us up and, and make us pay for it? What if they said, don't worry about it? We said, man, I, I really, I owe you. I know you're forgiving me, but I do owe you. We owe them a debt of gratitude. Maybe we do owe them money. Maybe we owe them our time. Maybe we owe them our assistance. But this is what it means to be in debt. When Jesus says, this is how you pray, he begins with, and forgive us our debts. Now, who's he talking to in this prayer? He's talking to God. The debt that we owe is to God. So number one, if you're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, there must be, under repentance, an admission of debt. Surprisingly today, we have a number of people who don't think they owe God anything. They don't think they've sinned against God. They don't think they've committed any sins. Well, why would I ask God to forgive me if I have not sinned? Let me ask you this. Have you ever failed God? God said, this is what I need, this is what's required, and you didn't do it. Well, yeah, nobody lives up to that standard. That's the, 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 the missing of that standard is sin. You've sinned. Ah, Brother Harold, I, I really haven't sinned. I, I'm really a good person. I've already repented for all the sins I've, I've committed. I'm really good. Has God ever helped you? Have you ever prayed to God and got help? Now, if you think you owe your buddy for pulling you out when you got stuck in the river bottoms, but you don't think you owe God for pulling you out of all sorts of problems, you don't realize the debt you owe to God. You owe him a debt of gratitude. You owe him a debt of service. You owe him a debt of repayment for all the times that God has helped you. And the only way you can pray the Lord's Prayer and mean it is to first have an admission of debt. Have you failed God? Yes, you have. Because all sin. There's none that doeth good. There's none that seeketh after God. There is none righteous. These are all Bible statements in the New Testament. We come out of the womb sinning. This is why our parents have to spank us and tell us no. Because we by nature don't want to do what we're supposed to do. And the same could be said with God and His righteousness. And if you still say, oh, Brother Harold, you just don't know how good I am, then let me go ahead and diagnose your problem. You are suffering from the sin of pride and arrogance. If you think you don't owe God a debt of gratitude and a, and a, a, a repentance of your sins, it's because you're too proud for who you are and you're too arrogant to your real condition. Because all of us have fallen short of God's standard and all of us fall victim to not measuring up to God each and every day. This is why we first recognize that we have a debt and then we ask God to forgive us our debts. Number one, you've got to have an admission of debt if you're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. Number two, you've got to seek alleviation of debt. 
Here's what I've noticed about some people. They will admit they're a sinner. They'll admit that they're wicked and evil. I mean, I've had people tell me, oh, I'm a bad sinner. Oh, I've done really bad stuff. Okay, you can be forgiven for that. I don't want to be forgiven. I kind of like being a sinner. I like my wild and reckless life. I like my, my gratification of the flesh. I don't want to be forgiven. I just want to be left alone. If you know you're a sinner and you don't want God to forgive you, how can you pray the prayer that Christ prescribed? There must be an alleviation of debt. So, how do we rid ourselves of debt? How do we rid ourselves of sin? How do we get out from under this debt that we owe to God for not measuring up to His standard and not being thankful for His help? Number one, we ask Him. We just ask Him. John said in 1 John, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God will forgive those that ask. Jesus tells us that we have not because we ask not. I'm telling you, one of the hardest things to do is ask. Have you ever had someone that you, maybe they had something that you needed, maybe a tool, maybe you're working on your car, and you need a certain wrench, and your neighbor's got one, but you don't really want to go over there and have to ask for it. So you just keep busting your knuckles trying to fix it with the wrong wrench that you have. So it is with God and our sins. He stands ready to supply it, but we don't want to admit that we can't do it on our own. And that's what hinders us. Well, you say, Brother Harold, if you're saying that being forgiven by God of sin is as simple as con confessing your sin and asking Him to forgive you, how could He do that if He's righteous and holy? <coughs> that's a good question. How could God, who can't look upon sin, who requires a payment for it, how could He forgive us and not kill us? He can do it for Christ's sake. Now that's a phrase that we use as blasphemy. When we get upset about something, when we can't believe something, we say, for Christ's sake. But really, it is for Christ's sake that we can be forgiven. God can pardon our sin because there's been a sin bearer that has bore our sins and paid the cost. So the debt has been paid. Christ died on the cross. God laid our sins and iniquities upon him. And he bore them and made atonement for them. These are the fundamentals of Christianity. But when we sin, even though it doesn't hinder our relationship with God, he's still our father, it does hinder our fellowship with God. We're not on the same close terms as we used to be. I liken it to my bad grades in school. I'd bring that report card home. It didn't mean that Harold and Patty Smith were no longer my father and mother. It just meant that our fellowship together was going to be different for a few days. They were going to punish me for my lack of commitment to school. And they were going to be hard on me to try to get their message across to me. And when we sin against God, it doesn't change the believer's relationship with Him, but it does bring about some discipline and correction because God wants us to be forgiven and be back in that right relationship. And so every time that we pray, we ought to include, forgive me where I have sinned. That puts us back in the right fellowship with God. So that basically covers the first half of verse 12. Forgive us our debts, an admission of debt and the alleviation of debt. But the verse doesn't end there. Look at this part, verse 12. As we forgive our debtors. 
My third thought under repentance is this, the authentication of deliverance. How do we know that we're forgiven? Number one, we know we're forgiven because he's promised to forgive us. He said so. Brother Harold, I just don't think God forgives you. I don't think he forgives you. I do because he said he would. I'm using the character and reputation of God as my statement for being forgiven because I've asked God to forgive me, and God said if I ask him, he would. But the evidence that God has forgiven me, and I'm in a right relationship with him, and I'm in close fellowship with him, is our forgiveness of others. You see, it's an impossibility for God to truly forgive you and you be unable to forgive others. To whom much has been forgiven, those people will forgive much. Jesus told the story of the ruler who went away and left his money in the hands of one of his servants. <coughs> and that servant spent all of his money, wasted it all. And when the master of the house came back, he called his servant in and he said, Hey, where's my money? How much money have you made? He said, I've lost all of it. And he said, well, take this guy and put him in debtor's prison and let him work off what he owes me. And the servant began to cry out to the master and say, be, 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 be patient with me, Lord. Give me another chance. Let me try to work it, make it, make it up to you. <coughs> the master of the house was merciful. He said, I'll tell you what, just, just cancel the debt. It's okay. Start, start fresh. We'll start clean slate. You go out and start working for me again. We'll see how you do next time. That servant went out and saw another servant of the house that was under him that owed him just a couple, maybe a hundred bucks. And he grabbed that servant by the throat and pressed him up against the wall and said, pay me the money now. Now, I want my money now. And he sent that servant that owed him a hundred bucks off to prison. And the other servants in the house went and told the master and they said, Master, you remember this servant that you canceled the great huge debt, millions of dollars. He's, he's now... Beating up other servants wanting $100 from them. The master of the house called that servant in and said, You're going to prison. You don't know what it truly means to be forgiven. You don't appreciate. I've credited your account for millions. And you're beating up a fellow servant for $100 and having him thrown in prison. This is the teaching of Christ when he talks about those that forgive must also forgive others. He goes on down in verse 14 of our text. If you forgive men of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15. If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This doesn't mean that you earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. You have first been forgiven, and the evidence of that is that you forgive others. And as you forgive others, it becomes easier for you to go to God and ask for his forgiveness. Blessed are the merciful, he said in, verse, in chapter 5, for they shall receive mercy. We can't receive grace and not also give grace. Any true recipient of the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ is a graceful, forgiving, and merciful person. You say, Brother Harold, I think you're making a, a, a big jump there. No, I'm not. If, if God is merciful and God is gracious and God is forgiving and he says he dwells in you by the power of the Holy Spirit, you should be likewise. Are we not being pressed and conformed into the image of Christ? Is Jesus Christ not our supreme example? 
You remember the secret code? I taught you this when I first came here. This is yes, this is no. How forgiving was the Lord Jesus Christ? The very people that nailed him to the cross, spit on him, put a crown of thorns on his head, beat him and whipped him. He's on the cross looking down in them and with some of his last words, he says, Father, forgive them. That's who we're supposed to be imitating. I'm going to tell you, that's not natural to me. If I was on the cross, I'd be like, Father, lightning bolt, left, right, and the one in the middle. Get them back for what they did to me. But the Christian's not like the world. He's a new creature in Christ Jesus. The reason that this is so important is because both admission of guilt and confession, both of these, forgiving others and asking forgiveness, is contrary to human nature. This is why we have to ask God in prayer to do both. Forgive us and help us to forgive others. Did your mom and dad teach you to say you're sorry? Mine did. I watch parents say that all the time with kids. I'd venture to say over the holidays this Christmas, if you've got kids and grandkids in the house and there's multiple cousins in the 4 to 12-year-old bracket, somebody's going to get told, you go tell them you're sorry. That didn't come natural to a four-year-old. That didn't come natural to an eight-year-old. The reason that you have to say, you go tell them you're sorry, is because by nature, they don't want to do that. And then the other parent will say, tell them you forgive them. No, I don't want to forgive him. He stole my toy. No, you forgive them. You see, th- this has to be taught to humans, and we're not good at it. And the only time that we do it is when we are publicly shamed into doing it. You know, we're going to have to forgive them because everybody's looking. You know, we're going to have to accept their, their plea for I'm sorry because everybody's watching. Politicians are good at this. When the reporters are there, they're quick to forgive and quick to say they're sorry. But in the back room, they're filled with vengeance and hatred and revenge. We are taught to say this. We're taught to ask forgiveness and forgive others. Well, why shouldn't we ask God for divine help in doing it as believers? Because we should be doing it at a level that the world does not understand. When you pray, pray this way. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. So we see repentance in verse 12. Now we're going to go to relief. Relief. And this phrase here in the beginning of verse 13 has a good bit of controversy swelling around it. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, does God lead us into temptation? The Bible says He does not. The Bible also says we're to count it joy When we are in temptation. Well, Brother Harold, how are we going to reconcile and make sense of this? You'll have to turn in your Bibles to the book of James chapter 1. We'll deal with those verses that I just referenced. James chapter 1 verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Count it all joy. We're supposed to be happy about the fact that we're in some kind of trial. And that's what the word temptation means. It means trial, testing. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Why? Knowing this, verse 3, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. What that essentially says... (laughs) 
is that these trials and tribulations make you who you are. You got time for a country music reference? Better than preaching. You don't talk country music for a little bit. Everybody know Johnny Cash? Everybody familiar with the song The Boy Named Sue? Remember when he was in Gatlinburg and his throat was dry? And he looked in the window of that saloon and there was the dirty low-down dog that named him Sue and ran away. And all of his life, the boy named Sue had been mocked and ridiculed because his name was Sue. And he had to fight and scrape all of his life. If you've never heard this, go home and Google it and listen. It's worth your time. And he starts fighting the old man that named him Sue. And he wants to get even with him for being named Sue. And at the end of the fight, I mean, they've bit off each other's ear. or They've poked their eyes. At the end, <laughs> they drawed guns on each other. And the old man said, son, wait a minute. You can shoot me, but let me tell you something before you do. He said, I knew I wasn't going to be around to help raise you. So I gave you that awful name and I left, knowing it would make you strong. Knowing that it would make you grow up. Knowing it would make you tough, because I couldn't be there to teach you that. Now, I'm not advocating you name your child Sue and run away. But the point of the song was this. That name is what made that boy a man. Trials... Temptations, struggles, tests are what makes the Christian. That's why James says the trying of your faith worketh patience. When we're in a turmoil, when we're in a trial, that's when we pray. Our prayer life is not great on the mountaintop. Our prayer life is down in the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David doesn't say, yea, it's all alone on the mountaintop of victory. No. Prayer is through trial. This is through patience. But patience having her perfect work, that you may be perfect, entire, wanting nothing. In other words, we're going to grow up this way. We're going to mature this way. My dad used to say there's two ways to learn, the hard way and the easy way. You ever heard that? You can learn by doing it wrong or you can learn from someone who's already done it right. Now we have this thing called YouTube. If you don't know how to do something, you can get on YouTube and look it up, and somebody's got a video of how to do it. I mean, you literally, somebody on there will show you how. You can tear up three or four of them trying to fix them, or you can just look at somebody that knows how to fix them and then fix them. The problem that we run into as humans is we learn from a mixture of both. We learn a lot of stuff the easy way, but no matter how much we want to learn the easy way, we still have to learn the hard way too. Stay in there in the book of James chapter 1, look at verse 13. Here's the other verse I referenced. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now if God can't tempt with evil, and he's not tempted, and he doesn't tempt any man, why are we praying to him in verse 13, lead us not into temptation? The answer is very clear. The temptation that's being talked about in the book of James and the temptation that is being talked about by our prayer from Christ are two different kinds of temptation. I can explain that because in James chapter 1 verse 13, look at the next verse, verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. God is not tempting us to do evil. God is not putting wicked desires within us. God is not making us to sin against Him. The kind of temptation that Christ is telling us to avoid are the trials and the test. In other words, 
we're going to experience both difficult times and learning from God. Let me ask you a question, church. Which way would you rather learn? Through trial and difficulty or through instruction? I heard somebody whisper instruction. Is that the general consensus of the room? Then you should be praying, Lord, teach me the easy way. Don't make me learn it the hard way. You know why people have to learn it the hard way? Because they just won't listen to instruction. My mother-in-law's not here. I'm going to talk about her. My wife and I have been gathering pecans down on the river. Her family has some land on the Arkansas River. We've been down there picking pecans. My mother-in-law saw them. She said, oh, I'm going to go get me some. I said, okay, get you a blower, go down there, blow all the leaves back where it's just bare sand and all the pecans will be left. Then go around and pick the pecans. And I told her where the, the not all pecans are created equal. Some are a little bigger than others. Some are, the shells are a little thinner than others. We don't have any big paper shell pecans, but we do have some bigger native pecans. And I said, now this one tree is where you want to go. And I told her right how to get there. And I said, you go to this tree, blow all the leaves back. She went down there and had a couple of the grandkids with her. And they dug around and come back with a little coffee can full of... I said, did you go to that tree? No. Did you take your blower? No. Well, that's why you came back with a coffee can full. Eventually, if she keeps trying, she's going to figure out that one tree's bigger than all the rest of them. Eventually, she's going to figure out if the leaves aren't there, you can really see the pecans. There's two ways to learn. I'm offering her instruction. If she don't want to listen to me, that's how you're going to learn. The same is with God. He tells us through His Word. He tells us through preaching. He tells us through Christian fellowship. He tells us a number of ways. Do this, do this, do this. But if we won't listen to any of those... He says, okay, you have to learn the hard way, how not to do it. Let's look, two thoughts here under verse, first part of verse 13. Number one, dodge the trials. Lead us not into temptation. When I travel, and I travel a lot preaching, when I travel, I pray and hope and even plan and look ahead to avoid traffic jams. A lot of times I have to go out east and preach, North Carolina, Virginia, and you have to go through Knoxville. And all the interstates come together in Knoxville, Tennessee. And you'll slow down to bumper-to-bumper traffic for about 13 miles. And I try to get to Knoxville, not at lunchtime, not at going to work time, and not at getting off time. I try to go there at the least busiest time. Because I know there's going to be, there's going to be a slowdown there. I, I know sometimes I'm going to sit there for 30 or 40 minutes on Interstate 40 and not move. Now... Could I just be blissfully ignorant and take off and get there at 5 o'clock? Yeah. But if I know i got to go through Knoxville, what I try to do is avoid that problem. I try to avoid traffic jams. But I do that in not just my driving and my travel. I pray to evade violence. I'll let you all in on a secret. I have a concealed carry permit, and I carry my concealed weapon all the time. I hope I never, ever have to pull it out. If I see problems up ahead, I'll say, hey, let's stop here and let that work itself out. We don't want to have to shoot anybody today. I would rather evade violence than be involved in it. Spiritual attacks. I would rather stay close to the Lord than get over here on an isolated place and experience the attacks of the devil. Financial shortages. I'm not loose with my money. I, I try to have a game plan of how I will spend my dollars and what I will spend them on. Sometimes financial shortages happen. Church strife. A lot of arguments and fights in a church could have been avoided if people would have just 
thought about what they were doing. Pastors create a lot of unnecessary arguments by not avoiding and trying to, 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 to evade church strife. I could go on and on, but there's a number of things I'd rather just not experience. And so I pray, Lord, don't lead me into that trial. Lord, help me to avoid that problem. Lord, give me the, the wisdom to stay out of that. Lord, teach me the easy way. But I can pray that till the cows come home and the Lord returns. Every soldier that's been trained for battle, eventually he's going to find himself in a firefight. Right? We don't train our soldiers and never send them anywhere. Every trained soldier must eventually be tested in battle. That brings me to point number two. I want to dodge all trials that I can, but then in number two, when I find myself in one, I want to be delivered from temptation. That's what James said Jesus wouldn't do. Jesus is not going to entice us to do wrong. Jesus is going to allow us to walk through some fire. Jesus is going to allow Satan to come along and test us and try to pull us aside. But when I find myself in that struggle, Lord, deliver me from the temptation. Keep me from James 1.13. Keep me from myself. The evil desire is within every single human being. We were born with it. And if we allow it, it will consume us. Not every human's as bad as he could be, but every human has the potential to do wrong, to do evil. These strong draws that threaten to overtake us, depending on how close you are to the Lord, will be the standard in which you want to walk with Him. I remember a time when I got out of the military, the hardest thing I could do was control my tongue. I picked up a lot of words that were common in the armed services that are not acceptable in a polite society. It was a real struggle to have clean speech for a while. I don't seem to wrestle with that as much as I used to. I've gained victory there for the most part. Now there are other struggles. And Lord, when those opportunities arise, I, I pray that they would go away, that I would have victory over them in Christ. This starts within us. I'm attacked on the inside. My own flesh Somebody does me wrong, I'm not quick to forgive. Somebody does me wrong, I'm quick to revenge. Lord, give me victory over my own flesh, my own heart's desires. The world allures me to do wrong. I look at what other people are doing. I look at how other people spend their money, how other people spend their time. And the temptation and the struggle is real to go and live that lifestyle, to go enjoy what they're enjoying. And I have to be reminded that the end of that is death. So I've got the struggle from within, the struggle from the world, and I've got the struggle from my adversary, the devil. Now, I don't think I've ever personally had any dealings with Satan himself. But a third of the angels of heaven followed him down here. And they're at work all over the earth. And I think that Satan would like nothing better than to see a Baptist preacher disgraced or a Baptist preacher to bring shame to the church or to his name or to his people. So I've got an adversary, and it ain't just after Baptist preachers. He's after anybody that professes Christ. I pray that that don't come. But when they do, and I know some of them are, so that I grow and mature and that I'm tested in battle, some of it's going to happen. When that happens, I pray, Lord, save me. Deliver me. I think the greatest and supreme example of this was Jesus Christ praying in the garden. The night that he was betrayed, the, the evening before he was crucified, let me take an excerpt from one of Jesus' prayers and see if it lines up 
with lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Matthew 26, verse 39, Jesus went a little further, fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Did you catch that? He said, Lord, I don't want to drink what's in this cup. But if it's necessary and mandatory, give me the strength to endure it. Don't let me fail. That's what Christ prayed. Well, he's Jesus Christ. He's God incarnate. How could he fail? Friend, he couldn't. But he's demonstrating for us this is what he prayed. And he's praying for our example. And he's showing us how God communicates with God. And if that's how God in the flesh, Jesus Christ prayed, then we should pray, Lord, I don't want to fail you. I don't want to go through a trial. I don't want to face my cross. I don't want to face this difficulty. But nevertheless, if it's necessary for my betterment, then I'm going to go to James and say, hey, look, this is for my betterment. This is for my joy. This is for the salvation of the world, as Christ could say here. And ultimately, he becomes victorious. And so can we, if we pray Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, it's because Christ drank the cup that we can experience this part of the prayer. Why is it that we can ask forgiveness? Because Christ paid our debts. Why is it that we can experience relief? Because Christ has made us acceptable before God. You see, the fact that Christ didn't want to go to the cross, didn't want to experience the pain, didn't want to re be made sin for us, didn't want to be separated from the Father, didn't want the Father to turn His back upon sin while He crushed His own Son. Christ didn't want to experience that. There was no other way to save mankind. And Christ, in doing so, saved us from our sins. The question that we have to leave with is this, is your faith in Christ today? If that's the only way we experience repentance, if that's the only way we experience relief, I have to ask you, is that available to you? Because if you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know the Father, you don't have a relationship, you're not under His reign. You can't make requests and you can't experience repentance and relief from sin. Only He can forgive sin and rescue from evil. If you admitted with me earlier... Because I too am a sinner. If you admitted, yes, I am a sinner, then will you stop short of repentance? If you agreed with me earlier that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, will you stop shy of believing on Him? If this is the only way to be right with God, and this is the only person that we can approach Him, then why not repent of your sins and call on Him for salvation? And have a relationship with the Father. And be able to pray this prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Can you pray that prayer and mean it? If you can, it's because of Christ. If you can't, your need is Christ. Let's stand.